We have a reading from Luke 1, verses 5 through 20, 57, 67 to 68. In the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly order of Abijah. His wife was a descendant of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Both of them were righteous before God, living blamelessly according to all the commandments and regulations of the Lord. But they had no children, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were getting on in years. Once, when he was serving as a priest before God, and his section was on duty, he was chosen by a lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and offer incense. Now at the time of the incense offering, the whole assembly of the people was praying outside. And then there appeared to him an angel of the Lord, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was terrified, and fear overwhelmed him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will name him John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He must never drink wine or strong drink. Even before his birth, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. He will turn many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. With the spirit and power of Elijah, he will go before him to turn the hearts of parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah said to the angel, How will I know that this is so? For I am an old man, and my wife is getting on in years. The angel replied, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. But now, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time, you will become mute, unable to speak, until the day these things occur. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. Then his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke this prophecy. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has looked favorably upon his people and redeemed them. Amen. Good morning again, y'all. I'm still Jonah. Still they, them, theirs. Um, and I, real briefly, in case you can see my feet, um, I am shoeless this morning. Um, and in case anybody was curious about that, um, this, this comes out of my, uh, part of my practice. Um, I've been reflecting all morning, preparing for service uh, about holiness and hope and the Holy Spirit and the way that the Holy Spirit fills places. And while, uh, while the whole room was singing praises to God, I felt the holiness of this place, this holy ground. We stand on the generations of people who have known and seen and praised God in this room, and I felt compelled to take off my shoes in this holy ground. Um, I encourage you all to, to attend to your bodies and your practices if there are ways that God is inviting you to be free in your worship. Um, if you want to, for instance, find a place to kneel or stand up or shout out, we want to create room for that in this community. So know that that's part of the experience here. I'm also ex exceptionally pleased that I can do this now because of those of you who were with us back in the Miramar days know that it would have been a legit medical hazard to take your shoes off in that place of worship, holy though it was in its own way. <laughs> but today we're starting this new series 
this Advent series. Now, uh, who here knows the term Advent? Does that mean anything to anybody? A couple people, a handful of folks. If it's new to you, no worries. Welcome. Advent um, is a season of the church. It's a time, about a month uh, preceding Christmas, where we prepare. We prepare our hearts for the coming of Jesus, the coming of God down to earth, this incarnation, this, this enfleshment of God among us. And so for the four Sundays preceding Christmas, we celebrate Advent, which is this anticipation, this hope. And it comes during the time of the year where it's getting darker and darker and darker. And as the the world gets dimmer outside, we anticipate and hope and hope and hope for this light that comes in the darkness that is Jesus. And so this Advent season, we are approaching this um, through these announcements of angels. Because there were lots of proclamations preceding Jesus' birth. Jesus uh, was announced a bunch of times and in a bunch of different ways. And so we want to we wanna examine where are the ways that God's messengers are showing up, helping us to anticipate the birth of Jesus. Now you would imagine that the first, angel, like first angelic proclamation that's like paving the way for the birth of Jesus would come to somebody super important, right? Like this is like Mary or Joseph. Actually, the first angelic proclamation comes to Jesus's uncle. And, it's, and this is a character that we don't actually hear a whole lot about, Zechariah. Had anybody been like, oh yeah, Zechariah, favorite biblical character right here? A lot of people don't even register Zechariah. But there's this beautiful and lengthy story about him and this angelic proclamation that he receives in anticipation of the birth of John, who is the cousin of Jesus, who becomes John the Baptist, who prepares the way for Jesus. So this is like a pre-pre-pre-announcement. So in this story, we have Elizabeth and Zechariah. Zechariah is a priest um, and we've talked before about, uh, about priests here. Um, they came from a number of different families within the Jewish tradition. I've told you before that the high priest was a political position that was manipulated by Rome, that Rome got to pick these high priests, and that that kind of threw a wrench into the whole system. But Zechariah is not one of those priests. Zechariah is kind of like a, a servant priest, Um, They talk about the duty that comes up, like they cast lots for the duty. Um, And and a priest that comes from one of these families that would serve in this way was kind of like active reserves. They would serve for one week at a time, twice a year, usually. And so he did other things throughout the year. um, But but when he he was like on call and when it was his turn he would serve the priestly duties and do these special, special rituals um, in the temple that only priests could do. So Zechariah is a priest, and priests were really thought highly of in the community. And the text tells us that Elizabeth, his wife, was a descendant of Aaron, which is another priestly family. And so that's the Bible's way of telling us these were two super holy people, like had the credentials, had the lineage. The text also explicitly says they were righteous before God, living blamelessly according to all the commandments and regulations of the Lord, which is sweet, right? But it's also a little ominous. (laughs) This is the kind of thing that the Bible tends to say right before things go really south for a lot of people. So like Noah, 
was, was a righteous and perfect man right before the flood. Daniel, righteous, right before thrown to the lion. Job, blameless, right before his entire life falls apart on a weird bet. So we can, we can kind of understand, like the Bible is telling us that they are righteous and blameless because there is some hardship that they're going to endure that the Bible wants to be clear is not their fault. And the hardship actually has already happened. They don't have any kids. Now, in our day and age, having kids is a choice for a lot of us. Um, and, and having kids is an opportunity for a lot of us. But having kids isn't the same type of um, expectation now as it was then. Your, you know, your mother-in-law's um, nagging notwithstanding. So no matter how much pressure we might feel in our culture that people ought to have children, it was a fundamentally different expectation in that day. And part of it was that kind of social pressure, pressure, this is what you should do, this is what you should do. But part of it was economic. Um, your, your well-being in old age depended on your ability to have kids um, and for your kids to support you. There was uh, also kind of a religious element to it, that lineage mattered and was celebrated, and that Jewish identity actually came from um, this, this story of another miraculous birth from Abraham and Sarah, where God promises Abraham, your descendants will number more than the stars. And so part of fulfilling that promise was having kids. And so it would have been incredibly unusual for such a holy family, blameless and righteous, priests and descendants of priests, to not have children born into this lineage to be a part of this ongoing story. And that would have caused a lot of pain and grief. And so the text tells us uh, that, that they were unable to have children. It was probably a medical reason. The text says that, um, that Elizabeth specifically was an, unable to have children. But they established that and then that time had passed. That they were older. That they were beyond the years that they were expected to be able to have children. And a lot of people in their community might have thought that they were cursed this was how people would make sense of something like that, something that you longed for and expected and never came to pass, that if it didn't happen, you must have done something wrong. Well, the Bible was so clear. They were righteous and blameless, that they were not cursed, but in fact, they were blessed. So they've lived their life. They've moved on. They've served their community. Zechariah has done his duty in the temple. And it comes his time. Chosen by Lot, he is to serve in the temple this worship. He's been called on to offer incense. We talk here sometimes about sacrifice and what sacrifice is about. Sometimes it's about sharing a meal, and other times it's about giving a gift. Sacrificing incense would have been um, more in that gift zone, but it would have been largely symbolic the text tells us that people were gathered outside as Zechariah went inside into these holy places where only the priests could go. And while he was burning incense, the people were outside praying. And while the whole assembly, assembly was praying and their prayers were raising up to God, Zechariah would light the incense and it would burn and the smoke would rise up to God, carrying the prayers to God. 
And so that was the, the ritual, the prayer. That was the way that Zechariah was present and they were all participating in this sacrifice that Zechariah was in charge of. And so as this assembly is filled with prayer and as the incense is going up to God, Zechariah is doing his duty and all of a sudden appears an angel to the right of the, of the, of the incense altar. What? No, what? Whoa. So Zechariah is obviously terrified. And like, I, you know, I'm scared when anybody, anybody taps me on the shoulder and I didn't see them in my periphery. Um, so I don't know about y'all, but I would have been very, very scared to see somebody appear out of thin air in front of me in this place that was like very protected and nobody was supposed to go in except for me. All of a sudden, here's this other thing that has appeared. And beyond that, we have some evidence that angels might be really scary looking. We have all of our lovely, precious moments like, you know, white, blonde babies with wings. But that is not how the Bible describes angels. Angels and seraphim, as they're called often in scripture, um, especially in the apocalyptic text, have, have dozens of eyes or many heads or their wings are made of fire. And I think it's not a coincidence that the first thing that they always say to human beings when they show up on the scene is, don't be afraid. <laughs> it's like part of their script. Don't be afraid. Hey, don't be afraid. I'm so sorry. <laughs> please, stop, please stop screaming. So this angel appears, and that would have been so scary for so many reasons. And the angel says, don't be afraid. Now, that may have been all of those reasons, that it would have been very, very scary for the angel to appear. But it's also very on brand with God for angels to say, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid is one of the most common repeated phrases in the entire book we have. Scripture says over and over again not to be afraid. And that uh, elsewhere it says that perfect love casts out fear. So this don't be afraid is probably a don't panic. And then also, don't be afraid. The angel says, your prayers have been answered. And then the, the angel gives, gives Zechariah this incredible news. You're going to have a kid. You are going to have a child. And you're going to be so happy. You're going to rejoice, and so is your whole community. And even before his birth, this kid is going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And Zechariah's response to that is, huh? Like, you know I'm really old, right? And Elizabeth is no spring chicken either. So he actually says, how will I know that this is so? And Gabriel's answer, I love this, is, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to you to bring you this good news. Gabriel is like, my presence is how you'll know. I told you. You'll know because I just said it, and I speak for God. And Gabriel goes on to say, because you didn't believe, you will become mute now, some people interpret this as, as God rendering Zechariah mute or Gabriel doing so. But I like to see this as Gabriel understanding and predicting, saying, 
The hope that you ought to have, the hope that it requires in order to tell people this powerful thing, you don't have it right now. You won't be able to speak this. This word that I have given you, this truth, this good news, you don't have the words. You can't find them. So Zechariah is, is, is with the angel for a long time. And the assembly is kind of going, where's Zechariah? What has happened? <laughs> so finally, after receiving this message, he's going to have a son. This son is going to be powerful. This son is going to be special. Is actually going to prepare the way for the Lord. Zechariah gets this message and doubts it, but hears it from the closest voice to God that is going to come to him. And he leaves, and he can't speak a word. He gets out and out to the assembly, and he can't find the words. He can't speak at all. He's got this incredible news, but he just can't tell anyone. So he says he starts, the Bible says he starts gesturing in like the highest stakes game of charades ever played. And, and the people don't really understand what's happening, but they do understand that he's had a vision, that something important has happened, that he has some news, that he can't find the words or the hope yet to speak aloud. And so the text says that after the service was over, he went to his home and after those days, Elizabeth conceived. So we can imagine what, what Elizabeth and Zechariah were doing in those days, having hope in the message. <laughs> but in that time, they became pregnant. And Elizabeth, Elizabeth connects to it. Elizabeth has hope. Elizabeth believes. And so not only does she start telling people and telling everyone in the community she says, this is what the Lord has done for me. She gives credit to God. She knows that this miracle is happening, has happened, and has come to her because of God. She has hope that this is real. Zechariah, meanwhile, still can't find the words. And one day, as Elizabeth is pregnant, Mary, her cousin, comes to visit her. And as Mary walks in the room, this pregnant Elizabeth is overwhelmed by the Holy Spirit and cries out. And she says, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me, that the mother of the Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there was a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. Now that feels like a slight burn on Zechariah for not being one who believed that this would be fulfilled by the Lord. But Elizabeth believes so strongly that she actually can tell when Mary walks in, newly pregnant, also terrified, having received another message from, from the angels that we'll talk about in two weeks. Elizabeth knows, and the child inside of her recognizes the Lord in Mary. And they're all filled with joy and the Holy Spirit, and they all start proclaiming. Because that hope inside them is bubbling up and can't be contained. Elizabeth's hope is real, and it pours out of her. 
She has to be the mouthpiece. Hope makes things plausible, possible. And the women here are telling the truth that was given first to Zechariah, but that he didn't have hope to believe in. They have hope, and that hope gives them the voice to proclaim. Before I became a pastor, I was a community organizer. And one of the rules that we had, it was like basic life function, you can't do this work without this rule, is that you had to live with one foot in the world as it is, and one foot in the world as it ought to be. Because if you lived too much in the world as it ought to be, too much in what was possible, too much in what was coming, then you couldn't be realistic. And you would often overlook suffering. You wouldn't be committed to justice if you stay only in what is possible. But if you stay too much in the world as it is right now in this present moment, you have no hope. We, as organizers, committed ourselves to having one foot in the reality that was here, the mud and the dirt and the muck, acknowledging our suffering, acknowledging our struggle, and one foot in the world as it could be, the world as it ought to be, the things that we felt were possible so that we could live here and hope for the future, bringing it into being, that we could be a part of the fulfillment of God's will for this earth. And that that kind of secular teaching has a theological equivalent. Jesus taught this, actually, as the kingdom, which is already and not yet. Because Jesus would tell us, the kingdom is coming. Jesus would tell us, have hope. And he would say that a lot of times in response to this world around him that was broken, that needed a word of hope of what was to come that needed this idea of something that was different than what was because what was was not okay. The kingdom is coming. And also, the kingdom is now. The kingdom is, has arrived. The kingdom is in me and in you. This already and not yet invites us to see the inbreaking of God, the way that God is showing up in the muck and the mud and the, the terrible suffering of our world as it is in the present moment. God is showing up now. The miraculous is already happening. Heaven isn't this faraway thing only, but the ways that God shows up in our grounded, broken reality to bring joy and hope and newness. To Zechariah, he was too stuck in what some would call reality, science, <laughs> the suffering of his own life. He had already accepted too deeply that he would never have children and that that was over, that his hope for that was extinguished. He had given it up. And so when that good news came to him, he couldn't believe. And because he couldn't believe, he couldn't speak that word of truth into the world. But Elizabeth still had hope. And so she got to be the voice of that message. She got to proclaim. She got to preach. Sometimes we need to rely on others to speak hope when we can't. When the words are gone from us. When our hope is missing. We need to let others speak hope into the world for us. 
And if we have that hope, and we know we are with and among kin who are hopeless, we have a responsibility to shout that hope from the rooftops and to be present both to suffering and to loss and also to the promise of what has come and what, is, what God is offering us, what God is telling us, what these angels are prophesying is that God is coming. God is always coming when you least expect it, when you think that you're beyond hope. The promise is coming to be fulfilled. And that is God with us, God among us, God doing miraculous and irrational and profound things. And in any moment that we have that hope, that glimmer of hope, we have to speak it. We have to shout it. We have to cry out for joy. Allow ourselves to be filled with that message of hope so that we can speak it when others have no words. So does this lack of hope mean that Zechariah doesn't receive the gift that's promised? Absolutely not. And in fact, when that gift is fulfilled, when that child is born, and actually there's a little lag time, he gets still a week into the birth of John. He can't speak. But on the day of his circumcision, of John's circumcision, Zechariah finally, finally encounters the fulfillment of this promise. And that hope which had been lost comes back to find him. And once Zechariah has found that hope, once that hope has entered back into his being and he believes again what is possible, Zechariah's words can't be contained. The scripture says that once he finds his voice, he prophesies. He says, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has looked favorably on his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a mighty savior for us in the house of his servant David as he spoke through the mouth of his holy prophets from old, that we would be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Thus, he has shown the mercy promised to our ancestors and has remembered his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our ancestor Abraham. He goes on and on and on, and he ends, by the tender mercy of our God, the dawn from on high will break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Zechariah lost his hope but hope came back to find him and thank God for those faithful around him who would hold hope for him in the meanwhile. Where are you in this story? Have you lost the words of your hope? When you are asked what is to come, do you find yourself not able to speak a word of hope? Know that hope will find you again. That there are others who are tending that hope, who will hold it for you and with you until you are ready. That that promise does not disappear just because we can't have faith in it. That the promise is secure. Your hopelessness is temporary. Your hopelessness is not a fault. Zechariah is given time for his process. And those moments, I'm sure, are painful. 
feeling like you can only gesture because you cannot find the words is painful. But there are those who can speak that, who can hold that for you. I think this is true about all forms of belief and hope. There are some who say that the reason our creeds, when we say we believe, we believe in God the Father, and on and on. There are some who say that those are written as we and not I, because individually, very few of us can believe any of that all at the same time. But the people collectively can believe. If you come to this space not sure if you believe, that's okay. We believe. We believe for one another. If you come to this space not sure if you have hope, that is okay. We hope. And we will hope as one. And we will continue that hope that the light shines in the darkness, that Jesus is coming, that all will be made well. And if you lose that hope, it's okay because we are carrying it with you. And if you have hope, know that that is your call and that your hope, your proclamation, your willingness to journey and to speak hope into a world that feels hopeless is powerful. And it is what we are called to do, to cry out with joy, to allow the Holy Spirit to overflow in us, to make that hope manifest in our community together. Will you pray with me? Good and holy God, God who holds hope when we have none, God who offers prophetic truth even when we are unprepared to hear it, God who fulfills your promises even when we doubt they can possibly come true. Be with us. Shine brightly so that we may see and comfort us when we feel alone. Amen.